Welcome to this week's free episode of Trash it's Future. It's the free one. It is, in fact, the free one. Riley isn't here yeah. to get mad about it. He can't get mad. I feel like I can't do voices, so I'm going to sub for Riley when I'll be like, uh, can, 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 can you not do any voices, please? It's uh, the free one. Much. It's oh, the free I'm so one. Stressed. We're doing Riley's Jordan Peterson. <laughs> can everyone so stop saying it's the free one? I find it quite alarming. I'm so stressed that he's doing voices, so I'm going to go eat this raw meat with some salt <laughs> and then have yeah, some exactly. inappropriate thoughts about my daughter. Riley would do that apart from the daughter thing. Riley would never yeah, have a child. If you, if you told him that the raw meat was like, you know, artisanal. It's keto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go for a really fancy meal to like uh, calm my anxiety. It's a Michelin starred restaurant that serves you raw meat and benzodiazepines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wait yeah. list is like a year. Yeah, setting yeah, up yeah, a right. restaurant that exists chiefly as a trap for Riley personally. <laughs> right, just Riley's like eating only beef shack. carpaccio at the Michelin star restaurant for reasons of gains. But then he's also washing it down with like eight bowls of wine. You know, like in the Looney Tunes, when they sort of like, you know, you had the Roadrunner who like part like paints the fake tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll do that, but we'll do it for like a, a small kind of we'll, plates we'll, restaurant. We'll, we'll, a small plates restaurant uh, called like Zing or something. I don't know. <laughs> Taken in by a Trump lawyer painting of Le <laughs> on a cliff face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just, just, just very frustratedly reaching out, trying to grab the oysters from the trying plate. Trying to eat a big <laughs> plate of oysters that I've disguised a landmine to look like. Tantalus brackets podcast. Yeah, no, it could be. What we'll do is we'll go to like we'll paint like a uh, we'll we'll paint like an exact replica of like the Nighthawks uh, the, the Hopper <laughs> image. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now. Yeah, but they do small plates bar food in there now. <laughs> <laughs> like the the barman has like a full sleeve tattoo. Yeah, they just look, look they're looking like they're having a great time. There's a woman like dressed in a cocktail dress, like looking disapprovingly. Um, yeah. it's, it's they're all shirt. wearing Alcatraz prison uniforms, <laughs> but she's covered in stick and poke tattoos. Yeah and, yeah, and she has what I can only describe as an ill-advised dye job haircut. She did mm. herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as just as a side note, I I was walking through East London the other day and I saw the Alcatraz, um, like the 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 kind of like a bar experience thing, Brick Lane's um, finest. Yeah, and it's right opposite, like not just one but two two of the Jewish like bagel shops mm. famous bagel shops mm. like right I was like I I, I was like did, I, I was disgusted when I first heard about it but I'd never seen it before and like when I saw like what it was opposite of it was just like come on like I I, I, I like oh why why wouldn't you think about anyway anyway I just wanted to add that um, I mean, it was a to thing me, it's me actually, curious. it feels like it makes a lot of sense. You either observe cash or you go to jail. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we were going to talk about an article Riley found about a startup that is called, and I am not joking, Nate. Oh. He's with us even in our thoughts. How, no, this is correct. How are we spelling Nate? Is it just like your name? N-A-T-E. Wow. It's my name. Okay. It's my name. So this is an interesting article, and it's it's gonna it's gonna take a pitch to investors. It's gonna probably take a take the full episode to go through it, but I want to read this paragraph by paragraph. A because I am I am lazy, if nothing else, but B because I feel like so much of the details in here are like real life versions of jokes we've made, and I think in totality, it just kind of like summarizes the extent to which the startup tech economy, all of the valuations involved, mm. and the services provided are completely fake. And specifically, it harkens back to what we thought was a throwaway bit. What if your robot was just a guy? Mm. This is one of the better examples, perhaps even more than the the bot, you know, the the robot delivering your food being piloted by the guy in in Colombia. This is an example of AI that is a hundred percent just a guy. Mm. So I'll start from the top. Some startups are bold and original. This is not one. <laughs> and, and some, like Nate, had more modest goals. Automatically <laughs> filling out shoppers' contact and payment information on retailers' websites. In exchange for sparing them a minute or two of data entry on their phones, Nate charged shoppers $1 per transaction. 
I didn't know you were up to all this. I know. I'm just, I'm just yeah. always doing shit. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not producing literally every podcast, I'm doing this too. This is from an article on the information, by the way. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, we will we will link to the article yeah. in the show notes since we are fully pulling from this article. But like I, I said, I feel like correct there's... as a leftist to make a dollar off of every time someone's too lazy to write in their own name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I don't know. I mean, I thought about it a lot, but I realized that if I charge more than a dollar, I would just want to open a small plates restaurant and that would also not be around after communism so yeah yeah. have the people paying for this ever considered using google chrome uh or as you will discover many other services that also do this more easily but let's get through this but it struggled to turn even that vision into reality while the company said it was using artificial intelligence to populate customer information during the checkout process, it had actually hired workers in the Philippines to manually enter the data on retailers' sites for a significant portion of the transactions Nate facilitated in Fantastic. 2021. God. Meaning to two people with direct knowledge of or according to two people with direct knowledge of the company's practices. That meant customers' orders were sometimes placed hours after they clicked the buy button through the Nate app. Nate didn't disclose its decidedly low-tech methods to at least some of the investors from whom the startup tried to raise money, according to a person with direct knowledge of fundraising discussions. Yeah, I, I'm studying an AI, and instead of all of the other guys who like start an AI that doesn't work or just do nothing, they go to the Philippines to open a data entry sweatshop? So basically, yes, uh, because they couldn't figure that you, as you'll discover as this goes on, there's a reason why an automated function was unable to achieve its goals uh, based on sort of e-commerce safety protocols. And so they decided to circumvent it by just having people in the Philippines making way less money, manually entering the orders for people so they didn't have to type their own names. That must be the most depressing job in the world, by the way. I would say... It's hard to overstate the extent to which workers in the Philippines get exploited in the tech economy. I think the combination of the fact that the Philippines was, was fully a U.S. colony and uh, English is widely spoken there, and the fact that wages are so low means that tech companies outsource some of their absolute worst stuff uh, for their English-speaking audiences to the Philippines. There's a great Adrian Chen article, I believe, in Wired from a couple of years back about how um, all of the content moderation for Facebook is done by people in the Philippines, and like this left people horrendously traumatized because they were basically the people, the human shield between your Facebook feed and you know videos of stuff like animal animal murder, you know child sex abuse, stuff like that being Filipino uploaded. guy doing the tears in rain speech, but about how many minions memes he's seen. <laughs> I mean, like really, really hideous stuff, and you know these oh, people yeah. were uh, being un- paid. Uh, we like, know this unmoderated. The English psyche is entirely posting videos of like cat torture and isis beheadings mm. and, and 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 much worse stuff than that that i won't share you know mm. in the interest of, of this cat not being ISIS. like this <laughs> yeah. uh so i'll continue in this article meowing the shahada <laughs> <laughs> attempt to store a guy's head off with a butter knife that i'm holding clumsily between two paws adorable yeah i was gonna say um, yeah. yeah that sounds really bad adorable <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like oh i can't I, basically you're, you're you're describing a meme called i can has caliphate <laughs> still nate has landed backing from well-known venture capital firms including uh coachu management and forerunner ventures who collectively invested more than 50 million dollars in the startup in the past two years transaction volumes never took off and late last year nate offered a juicy promotion to get people to make purchases through the app new customers could receive 50 dollars to spend at select retailers like best buy and walmart but the move backfired when users discovered they could create multiple accounts, launching a feeding frenzy to collect the free cash, said two people with direct access to an internal transaction data dashboard. Sure, we accidentally Incredible. gave everybody the infinite money cheat, but only for Walmart <laughs> purchases. <laughs> Customer orders surged during the promotion, but tumbled back to pre-promotion levels when the company ended it around Christmas, these people said. Wait, but, One consequent- but, but, but so hold on, you have to order this through the app, right? And cl- so the best way I could describe it is: Have you ever have you ever seen the things like Bai or some of the other ones that let you buy stuff from uh, Japanese retailers, but through a sort of translation sure, service? Sure, AliExpress. It's basically, stuff like that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically that, but uh, for any kind of e-commerce thing that's already in 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 English, it's already based in the country you're in. Uh, in this case, in the United States, uh, just because it would effectively let you log in with your account and then never have to enter in your but, personal data. Okay, so I. If you tell that app all of your details, if you tell them your name and your address and your postcode or zip code or whatever, why did they claim to need an AI to do this? 
Well, I think the issue here is, as we'll get the article gets into it, so I'll just continue okay. reading in a second. But but the the quick summary is basically that because most of these e-commerce sites are set up to avoid what they feel what 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 we presume to be bots or crawlers, and so as a result, like the function of getting to the click your basket, you know, click your your uh your order submit your information thing like it couldn't be automated in one size fits all in general because it's different in terms of layout huh. and staging on every site and then also because when they tried to automate it using bots like the sites basically will sort of rightly were like wow this is this is clearly a fucking bot and uh you know basically blocked the transaction or blocked the uh their connection hmm. so I'll, I'll keep going but then also there what I, I think what i'm struggling to get my head around here is that there are just like any any web browser just does this for you anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you definitely can save your card information and your, your, your profile like, on... Uh, why would you need an AI to recognize that in a field marked name, you, you put the name that you already have, that you've put into order a bunch of other stuff before? But as, well, you're also going to find this very, very funny, as, as many people uh, in the US and also in the UK will probably know, there's already this service called Stripe that works, or uh, Shopify that also works for that, if you want to go that route that already pre-fills stuff for you. So, uh, and that's an API, I think, that uh, you, know, you have an account, and then the website is sort of set up to interface with it and handles it for you. So, also, once again, my namesake, not fucking doing a lot of good right it, now. It takes like a minute to type in your name and address. It, it, but is a minute worth a dollar to you to make an AI <laughs> or someone in the Philippines do it for you, Alice? Alice, consider your grind set. That's true. How much money could you have made in that in oh, that minute? Millions. How much crypto could you have traded? Yeah, How many Richard Scary books could you be reading at this moment <laughs> in order to be reading fifty-two mo- books a month? Like yeah. in the time in the time that it takes me to put in my name and address, it, I could have recorded a minute of podcast, which would mm. remunerate me to the tune of <laughs> yeah. millions of dollars. That's right. You call this a busy town, and yet this worm doesn't even get up at four a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One consequence of the pandemic-fueled shopping boom is that venture capitalists facing fierce competition for deals and paranoid about missing the next stripe began practically hurling money at all startups that promised to make e-commerce smoother, even ones with questionable business this, models or technology. This speaks to a sort of a bigger problem with VC, right? Which is that we've just started to hear like what VC does, which is you throw a shit ton of money at everything in the hopes that you hit something that's very successful. Um, but th- they have this like thing where they throw good money after bad, where if something is successful, they go... Oh, okay. Well, clearly, what everyone needs is another fifty of the startup that does the same thing, just in case one of those is also equally successful. Yeah, and I mean, also, I think that you'll get. Well, we'll actually, let me let me continue on because I feel like there's a couple of things that that uh, references they make to how these businesses grew in like the sort of Web 1.0 e-commerce phase. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, there's not going to be that kind of exponential growth anymore unless there's a massive change in the technology which hasn't happened yet. So um, I'll continue. Today, uh, amid slowing e-commerce sales and macroeconomic challenges, many startups like Nate face a reckoning. Quote, across the startup landscape, there's this realization that a lot of companies had a great story, but their reality wasn't, says Keval Desai, an investor at InterWest Partners who previously backed e-commerce firms such as The Real Real. Great name. Uh-huh. Uh, people, people are waking up and saying these valuations cannot be sustained. You, you fucking think. Uh, the economy's real again. Fuck. Shit. Oh, shit. Shit. As venture investor sentiment sours, pay- payment startups and established companies such as PayPal are laying off staff and taking other measures to preserve cash. Stripe backed Fast, a one-click checkout startup that had around 450 employees despite generating almost no revenue, was among the first startups to implode after a series of reports in the information detailed its profligate spending. Another one-click checkout startup, Bolt, this year attained an astounding valuation of $11 billion, the equivalent of nearly 400 times its revenue, before growth hit a wall. It laid off hundreds of people last month after putting a fresh fundraising effort on ice. What, what, what were these hundreds of people doing for these companies? Was this just sort of like a, a Huey Long, like universal basic income by means of corruption thing? I, I genuinely Chief vibes officer, <laughs> yeah. uh, beanbag coordinator, uh, slide tester. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so continuing on, bigger companies like Shopify, which already have relationships with millions of merchants, easily replicated the technology Fast and Bolt developed. Nate's model of charging shoppers set it apart from Fast and Bolt, which charge merchants. But Nate's app, which also offers features that allow users to send gifts and take out small loans to make purchase, just didn't catch on or work as intended in many cases. Based, oh, so it was trying to do Klarna shit. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. Okay, right, yeah. 
who are also going bankrupt or are laying off a bunch of yeah, people. They're, they're yeah, they're laying off lots of people, apparently. Based in New York and founded in 2018 by fashion entrepreneur and former Amazon employee Albert Saniger, Nate, Nate describes itself as an artificial intelligence startup with an app that allows iPhone shoppers to make a purchase from any retailer's website with a couple of taps, quote, like magic, unquote. When shoppers see something they want on a mobile retail website, they can click the browser's share button to open the Nate app and then just click buy in the app. Let the machines do the heavy lifting of completing the order, Nate's website says. Approach the heavy lifting, <laughs> filling out your name and address on a web form. I love, I love what small beans the like the modern world has turned people into. Like, oh, oh, I can't type out my name and address. It's too hard. So I'm on the CEO's Twitter page right now. His his um his profile picture is himself hugging his own knees. Wearing like denim turn ups hmm. and boat shoes, which is in itself very funny. Uh, oh, very nice. Optimist, mm. dad, spouse, CEO of Nate. So, so apparently, uh, mm. to summarize one of the paragraphs, apparently they were at one point valued at $307 million and uh, they had 150 employees who were mostly based here in London. So, very, uh, no idea how, why. Lending weight to my theory that this is all your secret side hustle. Exactly. So I, that's I, where Nate is on Wednesdays. That, that's, that, that, exactly. On Wednesdays, I don't come into the office because I have to go to my other office, the most expensive suite in the shard where I have all these dudes <laughs> basically like outsourcing purchases to the Philippines. Yeah, Nate's got like Dr. Wito hair sitting on like a desk high above them all, uh, yelling to work harder as like lightning bolts kind of like strike the ground around him. Nate, yeah, Nate's sure doing that- so much Pride Month stuff by the way. Oh, the, oh, yeah, I mean, I presume you mean the app because for me, it would just be uh, my, my, my commitment to Pride Month is uh, is liking a tweet with a dog standing on the table. And the- Nate, Nate, the app has been uh, liking a lot of homophobic dog posts. <laughs> <laughs> but to process transactions automatically on retailer sites without the aid of humans, Nate's software needed to figure out how to locate specific buttons on the page, such as the one that adds an item to the shopping cart, without being blocked by trackers on the site that look for automated bots, said two people with direct knowledge of the technology. Mm. That proved difficult. Ah. As a result, throughout 2021, the share of transactions Nate handled manually rather than automatically ranged from 60 to 100%, according to people who had direct access to internal data from Looker. So there was theoretically some technology going on here. It's just it didn't work. So they just faked it with guys? Yes. 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 Oh my so basically, God, that's so basically, they were they were they were foiled by this seer- this incredible, inscrutable technology called website design and click button. And as a result, they had to outsource all of the things where you're pu- pushing the magic button to get your order processed. You know, one minute faster for a dollar to people mm-hmm. in the Philippines who would do it manually. And in, as it said earlier in the article, this could sometimes create a delay of hours for your order because they had to go through and locate the information and type it in for you. I'm I'm the UX yeah. person at eBay who every day moves the shopping cart button by one pixel, <laughs> effortlessly <Yeah>. defeating <laughs> whatever yeah. software they've developed. Guy in the Philippines making $2 an hour, having to process your third order this week for $500 of Gamer Girl bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> Just like rubbing his temples as he does it. Oh my god, that's that's a horrifying thought that like a human might have to supervise any of your dumb online purchases. Yeah, no, those are between me and God. That's right, that's right. It it says uh, employees at Amapta, an Australian-owned offshore staffing company, handled most of the manual work in the Philippines, these people said. A job posting from last year shows Amapta was hiring purchasing assistants, in quotes, to enter online purchases that, per the posting, had failed in Nate's system. Noor Sakali, a Nate spokesperson, said the 60 to 100% range was incorrect and the claims questioning our proprietary technology are completely baseless. May, may to- I see the proprietary technology? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, we continue to be laser... It's actually 100%. It's not a range at all. <laughs> we continue to be laser-focused on our upward trajectory of growth while ma- remaining laser-focused. customer service obsessed as we continue to build Nate as a one-stop I shop mean, it, it for e-commerce. It doesn't obsessed. get more obsessive in your customer service than hiring a Filipino person to do the customer service for you. Yeah. That sounds like a Tumblr account, customer service obsessed. Mm. 
would post lots of sassy memes about uh, working in retail. A, a potential name alert. Inga Zwick, an Impata representative, <laughs> said the firm was yeah, that's proud good. to work with Nate. Didn't think we'd come across a better name than the one we already had. But yeah, the, one which, had, but the one which I cannot say because I'm say, so embarrassed. And, 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 yeah. and, if you, and if you spoonerize it, it's even worse. Yeah. Uh, to Nate's credit, during the first... That's right. To my credit. To Nate's mm-hmm. credit, during the first quarter of this year, the company improved its software to be able to automate more transactions. But Nate still struggled overall to overcome bot detection and other technical issues across many major retailers, the two people with knowledge of the technology said. Of course, Nate presented a rosier picture of its technology at a meeting in early March. There, Saniger was trying to attract investor- investors using hedge fund Gladebrook Capital Partners, which previously batched companies such as Uber and Lyft when they were privately held for a potential $70 million Series B round at a Bro, $700 just, just million... $70 million more dollars and we will be able to make it hit the fucking shopping cart button most of the time. <laughs> That's right. Uh... For a potential $70 million Series B round at a $700 million valuation, according to a person with knowledge of the episode, Saniger wanted to demonstrate how quickly its AI-driven software could process transactions. When Paul Hudson from Gladebrook went to order a pair of Levi's from the denim maker's website using Nate's checkout, that triggered a notification in a corporate Slack channel Saniger set up called VIP notifications for Albert to alert <laughs> colleagues that a transaction needed processing right away, according to a Slack message viewed by the information. The team then told the Empata workers the, to process the less the popular sale. sequel to Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> the team then told the Empata workers to process the sale, said two people with direct knowledge of the incident. The Empata workers started the transaction, but when they were unable to add the size of jeans that Hudson wanted to order, Nate's engineers jumped in to add the item to the cart and complete the purchase, according to two people with a of the incident and Slack messages viewed by the information. Just th- this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. It's such a little microcosm of how so much VC shit works. Is <laughs> some idiot goes, "Oh, can, can I get a like a, a forty six twenty eight gene, please?" And then this sets off this chain of people screaming at each other in a Slack channel across four different countries. It's like 2018, it. a man who's built like the MF Penguin. I mean, it's, 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 it's killing me too because like this whole thing basically seems like dumb startup guy steamed hams incident. Yes. Like it's just it's just as you said earlier, may I see them? No. Like it just continues to the point where the secret ingredient it's just fraud and really really <laughs> low end fraud <laughs> uh, legally we cannot say that it is fraud they claim that this never <laughs> happened but the, the the journalists involved have in fact seen the, the messages and stuff so this is very funny um, I'll continue Nate joins a long list of software startups that have exaggerated their AI capabilities, you think. Six years ago, several developers of automated chatbots secretly employed many humans to handle customer queries. Later, some now-defunct self-driving vehicle startups privately claimed their AI safely automated cars or trucks, but that wasn't the case. More recently, ScaleFactor, which claimed to be an AI-powered accounting service, shut down after the pandemic began. Forbes then reported that the startup used Philippines-based contractors to do some of the work it claimed was automated, similar to how Nate was operating. The thing is, right, most of these companies that are claiming to use AI to do something and then they're just using a guy to do it, it's Hmm. because getting an AI to do that is very difficult. Or like it would be like a pie in the sky thing, like sure. a, like a self driving car or whatever. Yeah. But in this case, there's literally non AI solutions to it, but which are still automated, which work more or less perfectly. Like just it's, browser it's like, extensions that just do this without AI, like but without reasoning. It's guts. like reasoning to it backwards, right? Because all of those things that put a big cardboard robot suit on a Filipino guy to try and like solve some intractable mm. problem like a self-driving car, right? Because those are solving like intractable problems, even though they're not solving them, that makes them the way of the future, and that makes them the thing that gets big VC funding. Therefore, if you want to get big VC funding, you have to put the big cardboard robot suit on a guy, regardless of what you're having him mm. do. Yeah. We've put that we've put the big Apple Safari in two thousand and six suit on this Filipino guy to, to demonstrate our impressive AI. <laughs> This is this also gets very funny because when you when you think about some of the figures we've heard about valuations, you know, uh, seed money, etc. So it says, apart from technology issues, Nate also faced challenges appealing to consumers. In the first few months of its launch, Nate struggled to get shoppers to use the app after downloading it because they couldn't get it 
they couldn't use it to browse for products. Shoppers could only use an Nate app after first identifying a product they wanted from browsing a reseller website and then sharing that product page with the Nate app. And because Nate has largely handled transactions manually, users can only buy one item at a time, according to three people oh with direct God. knowledge of the technology. Amazing. Okay, so get this. Remember what we said about the valuation? Valued at $377 million. They were trying to claim $700 million. They wanted $70 million in seed funds. And they charge a dollar per transaction to be handled through their app. Mm. Toward yeah. the end of 2021, Nate was processing about 100 transactions a day. Two people Ooh, with direct snake. access to the daily transaction data said. Wait, wait, wait. So, so they were they, each, they, each transaction in their in their sort of theory was worth seven million dollars. Yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sick. To jumpstart growth, the startup launched a Nate Cash promotion in the fourth quarter of last year and took out ads on TikTok, television, and public transportation to tout the giveaway. Shoppers who downloaded the app and created a Nate account with their contact, shipping, and banking information were able to apply $50 towards a purchase on select websites, including Walmart, Best Buy, and Macy's. At one all-hands meeting in November, Nate's head of marketing, Tyus Castellabranco, responded to skepticism... <laughs> Another name right there. <laughs> uh, responded, responded to skepticism about the campaign by telling the team that the company's previous marketing efforts, including Facebook ads, were not pulling in the users they were hoping for, according to okay. persons at the meeting. But this, this gets better. Uh, Bronco went on to say giving free money to new users was an approach that had worked for payment firms like PayPal in the early days, one person said. PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel wrote in his book Zero to One that the payments company in late 1999 offered a $10 incentive to new customers and an additional $10 every time they referred a friend. The strategy was unsustainable on its own, he wrote, but the huge costs were sane for PayPal because the company had a clear path to profitability if it grew a large user base. Now, this is where it gets funny. After the, the promotion launched, transactions skyrocketed from around 100 a day to as high as 10,000 a day, according to two people who saw the daily transaction records. But many shoppers that signed up with Nate to get the $50 created multiple accounts using the same banking information, but different emails and phone numbers. One thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> Some <laughs> even took to Reddit to brag about exploiting the offer, with one person saying they bought almost $500 worth of goods by making new accounts. Eventually, Nate's payment team manually banned accounts that shared the same banking information. Team members painstakingly combed over a spreadsheet of transaction details to identify the perpetrators, said a person familiar with the process. I wonder if that was done in the Philippines too. Uh, and when the incentive ended around Christmas, daily transactions plunged back down to around 70 to 100, according to, with two people, according to two people with direct access to the transaction data. Imagine being one of the 70 to 100 rubes who was actually using Nate. The loyalists, yeah. Yeah. Was who even, were like, this was, is the best app I've ever had. It's also probably not even the loyalists, it's probably people who work there. Oh, fuck, you're right. Oh. Yeah. It says, it, it wasn't clear if Nate will succeed in raising more equity financing following its effort in March. According to one investor, Nate approached. The company said that month that it had around $20 million left in the bank. And around that time, Nate received a total of $4 million in venture debt from Triple Point Capital, a startup financing firm, according to securities filing by the firm. Nate's v loans... VC shit is so, so funny because it's like, you can get thrown this amount of money and it's like, even after fucking up in every conceivable way, you're like, oh shit, we're down to our last... um. $20 million. $20 million. Nate's loans carry floating rate interest that's currently as high as 6.75%, which is on the low end of recent loans triple point made to other startups, the filing shows. So I think, Alice, I greatly appreciate your ability to do mental math and determine that they have decided their valuation is $7 million per individual transaction where they, they gross a dollar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's each, each of those transactions sort of adds uh, 6.9%. Nine nine million dollars worth of use value, mm. and you know that's just how it is. What's interesting to me about this is the way in which it kind of encapsulates so many things that we've talked about all in one example. Mm. And I, we're kind of like we've. Re I think we said that earlier in the episode, but I think the bullshit valuation is one thing that we've talked about a lot, like the extent to which companies will just have these absurd nonsense numbers, and that's you know that's how they're assessed in order to receive funding. Yeah, getting getting the big valuation in the first place, getting it because something else has been successful in the same space and other VCs are chasing that success. Sure. Um, and then if it does go public, you know, the the insane share prices and things like that, the extent to which uh you know, none of this is actually based on earnings, or certainly not for the newer ones. For the some of the more mature ones, like there is actually an assessment of 
uh, of earnings, like their quarterly earnings and things along those lines. But yeah, now like, the even- economy is real. VCs are like, wait a second, I need to. Are, are you just all texting back there to order me my jeans? Well, I remember, I remember something that was really kind of enlightening to me when the debate was going on about Amazon moving its second headquarters to Queens, New York, and the extent that they had accepted basically like a sweetener from the state of New York, and it was something to the order of like, I don't know, a uh, hundred and sixty-eight million or something along those lines of tax breaks. Basically, it. I did the math on my my, my calculator app. And it came out to like $38,000 per employee that they were going to hire there. And it's just sort of like, I realize we're leaving the era of 0% interest rates and free money and all this shit. But it's just sort of like, I, I always struggle with the extent to which it feels like if you just gave people money to like do business shit or just to have their own like to, to like improve their life circumstances, it would make a, such oh, no, a no, massive, no, no, no. massive change. No, but you, you do, you do you give can, you money can't. out for free. Yeah, exactly. You just give it to but morons you give it to people for who are shit good that at, doesn't work. Yeah, this is the thing, right? We believe strongly in universal basic income without preconditions. Very strongly. For people who can get into a room with venture capitalists. Everybody else, you're on your own. And that's the most rational way of running an economy. And the thing that gets me about this too is, as Milo was saying earlier, this isn't really providing a novel solution that isn't already done better by far more successful companies. Mm-hmm. As, as as you pointed out, if you use Google Chrome or other similar browsers, you can save payment profiles, and it's pretty good at detecting when you need first name, last name, you know, credit card number. Yeah, it fucks it up occasionally, but correcting it doesn't take very long. It usually only makes trivial errors. It takes seconds. Or you could use if they use Shopify or something or Stripe. You're you have an account registered with them, well, and when you, you get just to the- eat the convenient, the inconvenience of like a minute. How often do you fucking buy shit anyway? That it's that big of a deal. One reading of it is, and I I, I don't know like um I don't know like a lot about the startup world now. So this is like very much based on like when I was much more interested in it a while ago. Which is that you have these companies that sort of like produce this technology, not because they sort of want to be industry leaders, but because, and like, you know, so many of them who sort of go through like the VC funding system, like what they want to do is kind of like reach a sort of level of valuation where they can kind of make a quick sale to like your Googles, your Facebooks, your Amazons, right? Mm. So, like, the point is not to sort of like develop a technology that necessarily has a kind of market demand or something where they sort of identify that, oh, this is like a real problem and like we're trying to kind of like, Come up with a solution for it. This, like a lot of other like startups, especially some that have like emerged, like we've talked about on the show, but like have emerged over the past few years. Like it smells like a type of service that is purely designed for like the most cynical reasons. Which in this case, like it sounds like they just wanted to sort of make a quick sale to a big company that could like absorb their product, and if they choose to use it, they can. If they choose not to, they don't. Like in so many, like if you read like profiles of startup founders, for example, or even if you kind of like look into you know the sort of space where aspiring startup like you know uh, founders like exist so many of them aren't they're not really trying to solve problems they're not trying to be like you know we, we like they, they don't even they, they've actually dropped the pretense of even wanting to improve the world in any way for them it's literally just the case of like we're trying to build this product uh that will kind of like reach a huge level of like valuation and then sell it um, and then just use that money to sort of like be an angel investor into other startups and like just taking advantage of uh, a market, which as Nate, as you mentioned, as in Nate, not the company, Nate, the person, um, <laughs> just, just to clarify that, um, you know, as you, as you sort of mentioned that like, you know, we're sort of exiting that period where, you know, uh, venture capitalists and like angel investors and stuff will be able to do that. Um, so these are very much like the last remnants of a system that like for a very long time was very happy to kind of like burn its losses because it just had so much access to capital. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that what what is frustrating about this is the extent to which it felt... I mean, it's gotten, call it easier to push back against it because you see just the obvious like lack of arrival of this miracle success that everyone's been promised. But I I do genuinely feel like there were all these times during, call it the previous decade and change, where it was so obvious that you know, if you want to just like guy who barely passed fucking college economics 101 level of just do some Keynesianism and fucking put money in the economy that way, that was absolutely forbidden. Anathema 
but you could basically do it for the dumbest shit on the planet uh, via more or less the same mechanism of you know taking out you know whatever the fucking T bills or how the fucking shit it works. You know, like I don't know, mm. I'm not Riley. I don't think about money, but like basically <laughs> b- being granted zero zero percent interest loans, you know, in order to have access to financing that then would be given, you know, out via VC stuff or institutional investors who just make so in such enormous amounts of money through, you know, various other things in the 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 capital markets that they have these like more or less throwaway VC sort of gambling funds. Like, mm. you know, the equi- the equivalent of 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 bullshit crypto investing for these guys is like they have a fund, you know, that's valued in hundreds of millions of dollars that they can dump into like any stupid doodad thing that that promises it might do something just in case it does wind up actually succeeding and they can it was a very funny and dumb time to live i mean my friend titus and i often reminisce about in like 2017 2018 there was a startup competitor to uber in london called via van where you could get a taxi back of a van anywhere in zone two so from any point in now zone two in london is like pretty pretty big that's like easily like i mean we're in towards the northern end of zone two. I live towards the southern end of zone two. It's about six miles by road to get from where I live to here. Yeah. So pretty pretty decent sized space. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh and you could um get a taxi anywhere within two points in that zone for six pounds. <laughs> no, it was three pounds, it was three, fuck. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's awesome. Is that gonna be financially viable? Oh, they went so bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. they, they they were burning that for like a year. And also you could get huge amounts of credit if you referred a friend. We're talking like twenty five pounds of credit for referring a friend. So me and Titus were like signing up all of our friends. I don't think I paid for a taxi for like eighteen months. It was a beautiful moment. It for like if you yeah. were on the kind of subreddits or if you had the kind of friends who were good at collating all of these deals that just trickled down from companies that had too much VC money that you could get away with so much shit that way. If you knew if you if you knew someone who had like a fully remote job who just did those airline miles scams and was oh always flying, like that person would absolutely be able to hook you up with some ridiculous deal like this. And uh and now it's I, I, I don't think that guy exists anymore is the thing. Like I, I don't think that it's possible anymore to be the sort of person who just like is like I have to fly to Dusseldorf this weekend specifically in order to keep my inexplicably obtained Lufthansa platinum thing. One of my (laughs) friends from the American equivalent of year seven uh, moved to Boston and then went to Harvard and I didn't connect with her again until we had finished college. And she, I think, worked in private equity and was one of those people. And for the mm. longest time, her Facebook updates were just basically like, more or less, um, how to describe it? It was sort of like a Yelp page for all of the different <laughs> business class lounges of the most fucked up, out of the middle of nowhere airports you could imagine. Like, yeah, to, keep, to get miles, I have to fly to Guam, but it has to be in 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the business lounge of Nusultan Nazarbayev International Airport, <laughs> Almaty, um, re- reviewing the, the horse meat milkshake. Yeah, that was, that was a, a great moment for like, most rational economic system in history. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's just sort of like you have one of those jobs where you genuinely make enough money that you could just buy, like, you could buy like a, a full townhouse in San Francisco and just you know, make insane. The amount of money that like anyone outside of that small coterie of people with those credentials will never see in their entire working lives, like the aggregate income across their lives. And mm-hmm. you're like, God, the Moe Shandon and the Paramaribo airport fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't understand it. The fucking Surinamese have no concept of your. European fine dining. Like, <laughs> is reading from Riley's LinkedIn page. <laughs> <laughs> so watching watching this stuff happen, I think what I want to f- kind of pivot towards is just the extent to which this normalized the sort of like call it wage arbitrage with the mm. developing world because I feel sure. like this is a thing that you always seem to learn about whenever there's a kind of automation you know miracle startup. And the thing that kills me about it is that like, and credit to the information for doing all of the legwork on getting this. But when I read this stuff, it's always sort of like, wow, they lied to their investors. But then to me, it's always like, wow, they're fucking exploiting people to an immense degree. And it's like, basically to maintain this fiction that what they've developed works at all. And, you know, like it's, it's basically call center jobs in countries like the Philippines. I don't know 
if there's a reason why it's shifted, because it used to be they would open these things uh, and they would invariably try to automate them in, in India. And I don't know if it's because of time zone things, if it's because Indian uh, wages have risen. I, I genuinely couldn't tell you. I think it's because, yeah, India's, India's gotten too expensive. Mm. But like when it was... it was they used to do this shit in like Hong Kong and mainland China too. Yeah, and, it's always uh, looking for a new frontier, right? Mm. Well, and the thing I think that gets me the most about it is like in a country like the Philippines, you know, if a company is offering, I think like five, six, seven dollars an hour, like that is an attractive wage. But you realize that like these also are jobs that people get and are now going to lose when this company eventually goes under because it is a huge joke. Yeah, it's it's terrible, humiliating, menial work, but it also is incredibly insecure because irrespective of whether they get criticized for it or not, it's not sustainable, it's going to collapse very quickly. And there's, there's so much shit that's like underpinned by that kind of remote labor. And I, I think this is like a critique that we can make on the left too, is that when we had our little like fully automated luxury gay space communism moment, it was our within- podcast had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Which- Please do not listen to any episodes before 2019. Not doing any self-criticism. Our but- version was heterosexual space communism. That's right. It's a very different fellas, thing. Right. With the fellas. I think we can identify that in some cases it came from some of the same impulses, which is to believe that your Pecora or whatever came out of a fucking replicator, you know? Yeah. All of the fellas were all in, in the towel on the communist space station. Sorry, we're all wearing a towel on the communist space station. We're in the big communist space sauna. And uh, we're all massaging each other in a heterosexual way. That's right. Whipping ourselves with like birch branches that we brought from Earth. In a yeah. way, you could you could make the argument that we really wanted deep down was fully automated luxury homophobic communism. <laughs> yeah, we brought this dog up here. <laughs> He's like dog floating around. Making he very funny to homophobic do. joke. We're all wearing the felt sauna hats, but they also have like a space visor on them. I I think I think the thing that gets me about it is yeah it. It operates on like if we're going to do self criticism about sort of belief that this stuff is inevitable. As a trait. Yeah, I mean because because it really is nice to believe. Like it's certainly relieving to believe that these technologies will develop well enough and you know quickly enough that they will be able to take to basically make machines perfectly perform menial labor. Yeah, and that that will will deliver us our treats too. Also, yeah, and and I think I mean it also just sort of comes out of the moment. So like I remember when like that book came out, and there were like a few others that were like in that vein as well. Hmm. Um, where and I think it was kind of like, and you know, I I think I I just just before we get into the main point, because like I think there are definitely some parallels with like crypto and blockchain and stuff like that. Where I think it was very tempting. Um, to kind of like believe in like what the sort of like tech business guys were saying, right? And because like so much of the finance, because it was so dependent on like a type of financial structure that was dependent on, was dependent itself on like cheap access to money. And just the fact that like you had these companies that were sort of seemingly coming out of nowhere saying that they were like tech companies and they, they were like were able to master the algorithm to the point where like they were worth this amount of money and where you have like governments that are like, um, like putting their faith and like orientating policy towards them. I think it's very tempting to kind of look at that and be like, yeah, well, we could you like, how do we sort of use this? Uh, how do we use this to kind of like achieve left-wing goals, like progressive goals, whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, and I think those books are sort of an example of like, you know, kind of like seeding the settlement that, okay, this is like the world we live in where like, you know, this type of tech is going to be here, but shouldn't the left be in control of it? And now we've sort of reached the point where it's like, oh, actually none of this tech actually works. And like for kind of like right-wing governments who have sort of like had a lot of faith in that technology and like seen it as a way of subverting the act of doing governance like they're in the shits because like they now have to sort of figure out what they do with like a state that they've basically destroyed but like with the leftists or like with some aspects of the left um those who sort of bought into this idea i think there's this other crisis too about like well you know how do we like is there a way to sort of like reconcile the ambitions of like automated gay space luxury communism with like the idea that none of the actual like technology does what we felt they would do yeah the concern was you know, if in the wrong hands the technology once deployed would not liberate people and make, you know, allow people more leisure and more compensation, but rather would just accrue even more grotesque profits to the people who, you know, put it in place uh, while everyone would continue a life of being underpaid and overworked. 
And what we're discovering is that all of that is true. However, the technology also does not work. Its only function, which allows it to function poorly, requires an even further exploited class of people, you know, outside of the they call it the the metropole. And so that it's depressing because none of the guarantees, none of the promises, none of the ambitions were delivered. They just it, you just discover that shit doesn't work at all. However, I think the other thing too is it would be easy to believe that this stuff was ascendant and that it was going to, you know, achieve all of its like most hyperbolic goals because everywhere you looked it seemed as though this stuff was everywhere. It was ubiquitous, you know, like that that Netflix and Spotify and and Facebook and companies like that could make these insane investments. They could acquire small apps, small startups for hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. They, you know, Netflix was doing everything you could possibly imagine. It had everything ever. It had all this new content, all this stuff was being generated. And what you discovered was that like that wasn't because of any any degree of financial success, growth, stability, even, you know, achieving a break-even point. That was just that they had the infinity money cheat from SimCity, but also that was being handed to them by the mm. government while the government slashed services that people depend on to a massive degree. Yeah, I mean, I guess that you know there was the big debate between the people who thought that you were going to keep your job and the people who thought that the robot was going to steal your job. But no one really predicted the third possibility, which is your <laughs> job is now pretending to be a robot. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate indignity. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it drove its whole like next generation of whatever because uh, you know some of us seeing Netflix make all of this stuff uh, decided that that was what the future the left needed to control was going to be, and some of us started Quibi. Well, That's I mean, right. and the thing that gets me too is though is like think about how difficult it is for someone who uh, has a startup, particularly a startup that would be in a in, in call it like a not brick and mortar sort of space to achieve any kind of funding to grow a business, for example, uh, that wasn't usurious unless they were super tied in with that startup world already, which meant they probably, you know, have the same pedigree and social circles and background as all this other stuff. So like anything that would be genuinely novel, anything that would be genuinely DIY, your access to this infinity credit was basically zero. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't exist. Or if you did have it, it would be at like Wonga interest rates. Meanwhile, the people who do have access to it are making stuff that doesn't work over and over and over again, lying about it, doing fully, uh, fully steamed hams levels of just like yeah, this technology works as as the wheels fall off of our electric truck or whatever. Yeah, and uh, the thing the, the the thing that gets me about it is that I feel as though we're now entering a different phase because I mean, as we're as we're recording this, it's Monday night. I'm going to have this out at midnight tonight. Crypto markets are crashing massively, which is yet another example of sort of the economy becoming real. And this, this, yo, this shit got me fucked up. I can't believe the crypto market is crashing. No one, no one predicted this. But the other point I would make too is that the crypto crypto market, the crypto being sold is like this. Well, the you know index funds and investing in equities isn't isn't delivering huge returns, but you can make take it to the moon with this bullshit that we you know bought a fucking uh, a huge arena in America to name after it. That level of once again ubiquitous everywhere telling you this is the way to get ahead in the in the economy, that's collapsing at the same time that inflation in the U.S. is now I think was estimated like almost nine percent, so mm. highest it's been since the, the 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 early Reagan administration. You're seeing all this stuff. It feels like it's closing out this era where like any of this this, this the infinity money might have been used to you know co- correct the rot. And fix the problems and, and make even if you're just looking at that in like a social democracy sense, not even like huge structural change, that was an opportunity. It was completely squandered in favor of Quibi and Spencer Confidential. What's really and- funny is that that's how that you that's how you get Peter Thiel, right? Is that like he like all of those guys started off as being like a sort of like quasi center left libertarian, right? And they fucked it up so badly that now all of them want a king. It's hysterical. Although I don't necessarily know if that's true, Alice, to be honest with you, because everything I've read about Peter Thiel is that he was fully right-wing libertarian from earliest days. Oh, well, um, maybe I'll retract that bit, but still. The, the fact that I could have believed it says a lot about our society. <laughs> yeah, you're not entirely wrong in the sense that, like, you know, Nate, you're right in the sense, you know, I, I've seen, like, a few videos of his, like, from, like, his Stanford days where he's very much, like, 
quite overtly like right wing mm. um in like a very sort of social sense he doesn't go as far as i think like the whole like curtis yavin thing is like i want a king teal doesn't go quite that far but his like definitely over time as he's kind of realized or as all these tech guys have kind of realized that like the honeymoon is like, well like the kind of like rainbow period is over and crucially that they fucked up and like you know um, their their kind of observation is very much a rejection of democracy as a whole, right? So, and you know, it's not just Teal. You can sort of see that with Zuckerberg in the sense of like viewing the metaverse like not as like a commercial product in and of itself, but as this kind of like new universe that like should have its own politics kind of embedded into it. Like Dorsey and like Web3 very much is like not just like a commercial thing. It is very much like a political decision based on like certain political epithets that he has. Um, a lot of these tech guys, so like, you can see with the movement like a lot of these tech guys have is one where like they have kind of like had to accept that they fucked up they've also had to accept for like the mechanisms that would have sort of bailed them out and crucially like what led to their ascension which is like the post 2008 uh like the moments of post 2008 like that's no longer sort of feasible so their thing is very much like oh well the only way to sort of like stay on top and the only way to sort of like stay not even like relevant in a way that people like but to stay like you know to not cede any power is to kind of like push for the entire like rejection of democracy and yeah. of itself. having yeah. destroyed democracy oh well it's clear <laughs> democracy doesn't work right uh, I, yeah well yeah, basically and then i think for like with crypto like the crypto stuff may i think the reason why that was so appealing to a lot of these tech guys is that it kind of felt like a way in which you could subvert it but without like seeming or sounding like totalitarian right so it's the idea that like oh if crypto and web3 sort of expand then people will naturally see this as like a better settlement and all they'll want is like managers, right? People who can kind of like keep the system running, but they can kind of build their own sort of crypto cities and they can buy their own crypto traffic lights or whatever the fuck. And now that that's fucked up, right? I imagine what's probably going to happen now that all the apes are gone uh, is, is, is that they'll just be a lot louder in their sort of like, like their assertion that like democracy is not like a functional, is not like a functional system for managing human societies. And like, in order to do that, especially to like governments who have sort of given away most of the powers of the state is, oh, well you, you know, philosopher King, those governments like only have one source of like, you know, authority left to turn to. Right. It's very, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's very much like, it's very much, um, the guy in the fedora holding the samurai sword, um, you know, claiming that like while you went to Parsis, he was studying the blade. Mm. Yeah, while 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 you funded uh, three pound taxis within Zone Two, <laughs> I, I, mm. I was reading Mench's Moldbug, and now I think that we need I like a neo reactionary about that. Yeah, but some, yeah, some, yeah. Some, something I something I wanted to add in though also is I just was thinking about this as you were discussing like the sort of collapse of these kind of farcical notions of how this stuff was going to reinvent whatever is that so much of what you might take as like received wisdom that you you know acquire through watching the news and reading the news you seeing advertisements all this stuff was telling everybody who was you know unsatisfied with their their sort of financial station that the solution was to invest in crypto the crypto was like this new frontier it was going to change everything like in the future you know, like every city will have its own currency that's done on the blockchain or some bullshit. And like, no one can really explain the use case because no one's really being demanded to explain the use case. It's just taken as a given. And so, it's like, also so funny because crypto, you know, back in the day, it's one of those things that did have a use case and they quickly got rid of the use case to turn it into something. And say, like, the use case is buying drugs on the dark web. Yeah, and child <laughs> pornography. But oh, <laughs> suddenly we're too good for child pornography. You know, it's got to be a financial. You got to buy an ape. You know, That's right, at yeah. least the child pornography was real. Well, the thing about the <laughs> suppose, suppose, supposedly the drugs were real too, but the thing about the it is, child is, pornography never collapsed an economy <laughs> in a South American state. Well, the thing about it is, with uh, it, well, the point I was trying to make though is that like a lot of people got hoodwinked and are gonna, you know, felt they were they were more or less told you're an idiot if you don't get in on the the, the ground floor on this. By, take by, out by Mark Wahlberg even which take is even out funnier. take out loans at whatever interest rate you can get the money at to buy crypto and you'll you know tenfold increase your investment. And now these people are, you are buying fucking child pornography. You're a sucker. You should be taking that crypto and buying apes. I'm Mark Wahlberg, investment advisor. Like. 
Who's a Matt Damon? Th- Not important. Basically the same guy. I, I just feel bad because a lot of people got hoodwinked. And even if we can look at the people who made these decisions, you're like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you, like anything comparable to this, the knock-on effects are like people in their lives are going to suffer too. Their families are going to suffer. Their communities are going to suffer. And like, that's the part about it that drives me nuts is that it's not even like a, oh, people should have known better. You know, people in positions of influence should have been more responsible. It's like at no point has anyone been like, hey guys, could you please explain what the fuck any of this is actually supposed to do? Because like, it just looks cool. It has cool icons. That's literally it. Other than that... One of the few scams where like the people in charge of the scam really weren't much smarter than the people falling mm. for it. Like A lot of them genuinely believed it was going to work. What's really sad about a lot of it, like, and I know a few people who like did investing. I don't know how much they've done or like how much they've now lost or, you know, whatever. Um, but like they did kind of like invest into crypto. And like, when I sort of asked like, well, you know, why are you doing, I'm like, just genuinely out of interest. Like, why are you doing this? Because it feels to me like this is like very, very risky. And as someone who's quite risk averse, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this. And for them, it was very much like, Shut it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, they, they, love, they love, they love Mark Wahlberg films. Um, no, what they, what, what they were, what they were kind of saying is that like, oh, this is, you know, it, the vibe that I got was very much like they felt hopeful in like being part of like you know seeing all this happen and seeing like people kind of like at least say that they were kind of benefiting from it um you know these are people like who like i went to school with right so they have these jobs that are kind of like low um low you know fairly low stagnant paid like white collar jobs um you know the the future is not necessarily the one that like was necessarily what they envisioned for like you know when we were all in school but for them it was very much like they felt that they were investing in a future and what like the crypto, what the, what like these kind of like the online crypto world did and crucially all the PR firms that like have, like, I don't know about anyone else, but like all the PR emails I get are all about cryptocurrency. So like these PR agencies are very, like were very, very, I don't want to say they were very good at it, but they went all in on just like promoting crypto as like, you know, the inevitable future, like, you know, something that like, if you don't kind of, if you, if you don't get in, in on it, it's not the fact that you're like missing out a good opportunity. It's that you're sort of like foregoing your future at a time when like, there isn't really any other option or it feels be- like there isn't really any other option. Mm. So the fact that like this crypto, what this cryptocurrency, like what the, what the crash has done and what the kind of subsequent crashes will do is like really kind of like, you know, it it will really sort of degrade like a lot of the senses of hope that people who don't really have hope in anything else um, have. And like, I, I, I've been worrying about this for like quite a long time, like what the political consequences are when you have like a much younger generation for whom like they are aware that like the state doesn't really back them. They can't really like afford families or buy houses or like do all the sort of things that like were kind of conventional of people their age. And suddenly this thing, but like they did have a lot of hope in crashes like almost immediately. Like what are they left with? And like what happens after that? Do we say the that they are three words for you by the ghosts of lost futures? <laughs> that, Prime that would, Minister that, Matt Hancock. That, that would, yeah, yeah, that, that would be it. That's right. Well, I, I guess... In wrapping up, all I can say is I too am often disappointed when uh, when people are taken in by the promises of something called Nate. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that saying the, this to my wife the when Nate, she's mad that, that the Nate app. I'm uh, not the only person who's been taken in by the promises <laughs> of Nate. <laughs> I just realized something funny that was very just, as a, as a slight little detail before we close is that the Nate app worked on iOS, so that presumes it's only on iPhone, which presumes you have to send a link to a thing to go to the app. But also, like, if you were too lazy to uh, to fill in your information to purchase something, and you're using iOS, you can just use Apple Pay. You literally oh click a God. button twice, oh and you can pay God, for it. it really so is. effectively, like, so effectively, they've created a thing like, what, do you guys want to use our app? It does shit way worse and slower, and it's harder than just fucking clicking the side of your phone. And it costs you a dollar. And it costs you a dollar every single time. Oh, <laughs> uh, but please, please do. Because you're creating uh, jobs in the how Philippines. How could this have failed? You and 99 other people today will grant us $100 of revenue. We're worth nearly a billion dollars. Um, how could it have failed? Well, you know impossible to say if it if it hadn't failed we wouldn't have had an episode this week we wouldn't have been able to uh to you know explore 
yeah, the we would have state... simply have given up. We just wouldn't have That's done right. any content. We would have stopped podcasting. So the, here's the thing. Yeah, we've here's actually run out of ideas. It's, it's a real, it's a screeching in up to the deadline every week. We're just <laughs> waiting for something to hit our email. So basically box. the haters and losers, what they need to do is take over Bitcoin and shit app companies and make them solvent. And then we will have to retire. Yeah, then right. we'll be owned. We will. Yeah. We will be incredibly owned. The podcast until... about booms, and now we're in a bust. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't Fuck. Know. But uh, before we go, I want to pass it around the table. If people have anything to plug, Milo, oh. have you got anything to plug? Alice, Hussein, plug. Don't ask Alice if she's got anything to plug. <laughs> no. you know, you're, not, you're not ready for that <laughs> just, conversation. Just, just, uh, just the regular stuff. Uh, well, I mean, well, there's your problem. Kill James Bond. Yeah, it's, listen to those. I'm 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 a f I'm just like a full time wife guy now, so I just want to promote my wife. Uh, that's all I'm gonna do from now on. But <laughs> if you want to like do like yes, in in my previous non wife guy phase, I did have a podcast called 10, 10, uh, 10, 000 posts. It's now renamed Ten Thousand Wives. Um, <laughs> you can follow that Ten K Post Pod on Twitter, and like we have Patreon and everything. Mm. Yeah, and I, I do Masters of Our Domain with uh, Phoebe Roy, who also does 10,000 posts. I also have a show called What a Hell of a Way to Die, and uh, we have a Patreon for Trash Shoots for $5 a month. Gets you a bunch of bonus content, one free episode. As, as inflation wears on, it becomes a better and better deal week <laughs> by week. And if, you, and, if you, and if you want two Britonologies a month, we offer that at the $10 tier. And uh, if we reach our next Patreon goal, we will invest in an app that promises the ability to travel through time and we can change the American English lingo used to talk about product placements in movies. Yeah. And so instead of being called plugs, it'll be called pegging and Alice will be <laughs> so your wife. Yes. fucking happy. Yeah. Each week on the Trash Future Patreon, you'll receive a limited edition figurine, which over time builds into a fantastic collection of apes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, otherwise, it's been Nate, Milo, Alice and Hussein, thank you so much for listening, and we will speak to you next thank week. You. Bye bye. Thank you.